Okay, we're in Lesson 16. Again, we are uh, progressing along through this second section of Proverbs, which are individual Proverbs from King Solomon. And so we're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 of chapter 11 all the way through chapter 12, verse 6. And so that's what we're going to progress through today. So, again, there's not any order to these. Proverbs, they're just kind of put together, so we're going to go through them individually. Sometimes there's two Proverbs together that discuss the same issue, and we'll make note of that. In fact, verses 19 and 20 address the issue of conduct. So let's look at verse 19 and 20. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord. And the blameless in their ways are his delight. Okay, so let's look. First of all, verse 19 is going to tell us the result of moral conduct. The results of moral conduct. Life and death result from moral choices. Now, over and over through the Proverbs, you're going to see that King Solomon is going to make the point that what choices you make will either bring about life or death in your life. The moral choices you make will either bring about life or death in your life. And that's really true, isn't it? Not just in a physical sense of dying, but you can have a, an emotional death or a spiritual death going on in households because of the choices that are made. Is that not true? And so that's the point he's making here. So when you look at it, at uh, verse 19, he says, righteousness leads to life. That's what he's talking about. Righteous living leads to life. But then notice what he says, verse 19. So he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. But the person who chases after or is pursuing what is wrong, evil, is really chasing after his own death, his own destruction. Now, look at verse 20. We're going to talk about pleasing God. God detests a perverse heart, whereas he delights in one who is blameless. In fact, I want you to notice there's very strong language here. Look at verse 20. Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to God. Abomination is a very strong word. You know... When you look at on television, you see people and they're chasing after the things that are wrong and even perverse. The reality of it, the scripture says that they, because of their pursuit, not their action, but they are a what? An abomination to God. God detests them. God has a problem with them. But then notice something. But the blameless in their ways are his delight. He delights in the one who is blameless. You want to gain God's favor in your life? Live a life that he delights in. Be blameless in your walk. He enjoys that. In fact, let me me change that word delight there. Uh, Because here's the thing. When you're a Christian, there's not any more favor you can gain from God. But God enjoys you, your life, when you do what's right. When you do what's right. So I want you to see that. Now, look at verse 21. We're going to talk about retribution. Moving on to a different topic now. Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished. 
but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. So here, notice something. God's just retribution on the wicked is certain. And you say, are you sure about that, George? Because I see an awful lot of people who are doing wrong things, and they seem to be getting away with it. I need to remind you that God's timetable is not our timetable. Does everybody understand that? God's timetable is not our timetable. So when, even though you see somebody, they're getting away with stuff, and it seems like nothing, they're like Teflon. Nothing sticks, and it seems like they're getting away with it all the time. Have you ever met somebody like that? And, but the problem is, is that you're operating on your timetable. You think they need to be dealt with right now, but God will deal with them later. And then ultimately, if they die, even if they never face anything in this life, if they die, they're not going to get away with it later. Do you understand? They're not going to give away with it later. In fact, they'll really have to answer for it, answer for it then, won't they? You say, what are you talking about, George? Well, look, even if somebody gets caught doing something today, just look at our court system today. You know, with every kind of procedural thing that goes on, people can have stuff just thrown out and never have anything dealt with, right? Right? Let me tell you something. When it comes to standing before God, there won't be any procedural movements. There won't be any of that. Now, look at the issue of verse 22 now. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Okay, now here is what he's saying. And he's the one who said it, not me. A woman with no moral sensibility is compared to a pig with an ornament. If you don't have... Ladies, if you don't have any moral sensibility about you, you're like a pig with a beautiful ring in its nose. That's pretty, that's pretty bold, isn't it, that Solomon's saying that? And that's what he's saying. I mean, you can be a beautiful woman, but if you don't have any moral sensibilities about you, that's, a, that's about as worthless as a pig with a beautiful gold ring in its nose, isn't it? Because what do pigs do? They, they stay clean, don't they? No, they wallow around in the mud, don't they? And, you know, that, that's the point. I, I don't think I need to make any more point there because Solomon said it enough as it is. Okay. Look at verse 23 now. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Now, here's the prospect for life. God rewards... The righteous. The wicked's only hope is wrath. See, here's the thing. Even though life may be hard right now, listen to me. Even though life may be hard right now, and you may be even wondering if you're ever going to get ahead, and you may be even wondering, Lord, where's your blessing? Maybe you have a misunderstanding of what his blessing is. And life may be hard right now, but here's the thing that you cannot... You have to remember that it cannot be taken away from you. Because you have a reward that's coming later on. That's far greater than anything this world has to offer. So why are you pursuing the stuff of this world? Because you have something that's far more wonderful coming down the road. And that's the point that, that Solomon's trying to say about the reward that's coming. But then he says, he contrasts that now with the wicked. 
Now again, let me ask you something. Who are the wicked? Yeah, the unsaved, the unbeliever. So the, the prospect for the unbeliever in the future is what? Wrath. Now let me just stop for a moment because when we think of wrath, maybe you think of a mother who's just about had it with her kids and she just blows it out over. That's human wrath. When we talk about wrath in the sense of God, we're talking about judicial wrath. For instance, you say, what do you mean by that? I don't understand what you're saying. Well, think about it for a moment. I come from the state of South Carolina. I think Pennsylvania has a law too, although they don't use it. And in the state of South Carolina, they will execute someone for criminal offenses. And when the state, and it's the state, executes an individual for criminal offenses, that individual, when he is executed, is facing the wrath, the judicial wrath of the state for his offenses. That's what we're talking about here. So when the wicked face wrath, they're not facing God's uncontrolled anger. They're facing the judicial wrath of God. Does everybody understand me? We're not talking about uncontrolled state like a mom. Ah, I've heard it! You know, we're talking about what? The judicial sentence of God executed upon the people. Okay. You mean this verse? It is an oxymoron, but that's it. They don't have any hope. That's, it's, it's really meant to communicate that they may think they have hope. They may think they're going to come back 10,000 times over as a cow or a, a mouse or something. Uh, some, you know, there's a growing number of Americans who believe that kind of stuff. You're, you're, you know, the reality is, Buddhism, all of the Eastern mysticism things are influencing our culture. They're influencing our culture through the radio. So, for you country western fans, when Willie Nelson sings about a little bit of karma coming on, karma has to do with Eastern mysticism. Karma has to do with the Eastern religions. Karma has to do with reincarnation. What I want you to see is, a lot of people have a hope we talked about Ted Williams a few weeks ago. Ted Williams, his head is somewhere in a freezer. You know, his body somewhere in hopes that someday in the future they'll be able to bring him back. See, their only hope, and this is, and it may be an oxymoron, but their only hope is what? Wrath. You say, well, that's no hope at all. That's the point. That's the point. That's the point of what I'm saying. There is no hope. There is no, you know, there is no hope. Now look at verse 24 and 25. We're going to talk about the issue of generosity. There is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also water himself. Now here's the issue of generosity. This, these, these are great verses to talk to you about God's economy. You know, there's the human economy in which we think, you know, if I've got to take care of myself, then I need to, you know, think about me and, you know, and whatever. But God's economy is completely different than the human way. God's way of doing things is completely different. And so I'm not just going to talk about these two verses in light of that offering plate. That's not my whole point here. This is a proverb of wisdom in general, and it talks about you being generous in general, you understand? Because you've got to remember the context of what the passage is here. The context of the passage is an Israeli culture 
where, yeah, they brought something to the temple. But that was maybe only three or four times a year when they would go. This is a verses that are in the context of everyday living. And it talks about you being generous in your everyday living. Okay, so let's notice what it says here. In God's economy, generosity often determines prosperity. In God's economy, generosity often determines prosperity. Well, you say, yeah, makes sense. You've got to have money to give it away. Ah, but that's in the human economy. In God's economy, and this is the point that Paul makes later on in 2 Corinthians. Remember we went through 2 Corinthians. That in God's economy, He gives you what you need in order to give to others. And as you give to others, He then blesses you with more. He gives you a stewardship of more in order for you to bless more people. Here's what God's economy is. God's economy is that you don't get stuff for you. You get stuff for what? Others. You understand? And as you show yourself faithful, as you show yourself faithful in giving, then God blesses you with more because He knows that you're going to give it to more more people. See, that's what Proverbs is talking about here. Look at what it says there. I mean, it's not George saying this to you. Listen to what what it says there. Verse 24. There is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right but leads to poverty. Here's the point. Listen to what he's saying. You scatter, you reap more. You hoard? I can't do that. Yep, I know there's somebody across the room over there that has a need, and I can help them out. But you know what? I might have a need two years from now. And I need to be ready for two years from now. How do you know you got two years? How do you know you got two years? See, in, in the end, you hoard to yourself, and what happens? You lose it. Reminds me of a story. It was in um, Wycliffe Bible Translators has a magazine. This is probably about 10 years ago or so. Maybe I've shared this story with you before about a missionary to the Philippines. And when she went to the Philippines, she had a set of books that she loved very dearly. Loved them very dearly. And everybody knew she had these books. And people would say, can I borrow your book? And she said, no. No, these are my books. These are my precious books. Nobody, nobody's going to get them. And she kept them in the bottom of a locker in her hut where she was at. One night while she was just laying in bed sleeping, she thought she heard crunching sounds. And then she realized it was coming from the locker. And then she opened up the locker and here her books were being eaten by worms. And she lost them all. Then then the article makes this wonderful point. She realized had she lent those books out and circulated them among the other missionaries in her area there for their enjoyment, she would still have them. But because she hoarded them, she what? She lost them all. See, that's the principle of generosity. I'm not just talking about the offering plate. I'm talking about you giving in general. 
You giving in general. But we're keeping it for two years from now. Or ten years from now. Or retirement. So then here goes on. One must give in order to gain. Now listen, the message I'm sharing with you is not what you hear on television, the prosperity message, where send in a seed gift and God will bless it a hundredfold. That's not in the Bible. That's not what we're talking about here. But if you are a good steward with what God has given you financially, not just finances, but the stuff you have. Maybe you have a piece of equipment that could, somebody could benefit from or something. Or maybe you have experience that somebody could benefit. We're talking about generosity in general here, not just financially. In God's economy, if you are a good steward of what you have that he's given you, he will give you more to have stewardship over. Do you understand what I'm saying? Remember the parable of the talents. Remember the master left and he left the talents for these individuals to take care of? And for the one who had five, he multiplied it into ten. And then the other one who had two, he multiplied it into four. And the guy who had one, what did he do with it? He hoarded it. And what ended up happening to him? He ended up getting punished. He lost it. What happened to that talent? It was given to the guy who had ten now. See, you're given more responsibility. You're given more responsibility. Some of you here, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't know who you are, but some of you maybe are sitting here, room this size, this many people. You are missing out on the blessing of God by being good stewards of what you have and seeing God multiply what you have so that you can use it further. Does everybody understand? Because all you're thinking about is who? Me, myself, and I. You. All right, let's go on. Business. Now he moves into the issue of business. Look at verse 26. People will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. Here's the thing. One who hoards to affect the price is despised by the community. One who hoards to affect the price is despised by the community. We have a manager of a store here, Bruce, and let's say Bruce has a product that he realizes everywhere else they don't have that product. He just happens to have the last few pieces of that product in his store. Maybe it's a door, fancy door, maybe it's a faucet, maybe it's because he's in, the, he's in the lumber industry. And so Bruce decides, well, you know what, I'm just going to hold on to these and let the price just keep coming up. How is Bruce then viewed by guys like Rod who want to buy from him, knowing he's got it, but he's hoarding it, so that the price inflates up? What do you think of a guy like that, Rod? Okay, yeah, you're, you're not happy, are you? Now, he'll be happy going to the bank, but he won't have too many friends in town, will he? No, he won't. See, this is the point. Listen, how many of you, when Enron happened, the biggest scandal of Enron was that they were manipulating what? Yeah, they were manipulating prices for fuel. And the outrage of it was is that who ended up paying that? Every single one of you did. Yeah, because there's still this stuff going on. And so what Proverbs is making the point here is that one who hoards to affect the price 
is despised by the community. And guess what? They wanted to throw the book at the guys. In fact, they wanted to give them more prison time than you would get for murdering somebody. Why? Because it affected the pocketbook. It affected the pocketbook. Now, here's notice something else now. A next point here. One who sells and does not hoard is a blessing to others. One who sells and does not hoard is a blessing to others. So let's go back to Bruce. Let's say Bruce does have those faucets or whatever. And, you know, he says, you know, I could make more money, but you know what? Relationships with my customers is better than than hoarding it for more money for me. And so he just says, okay, here they are. Here you go, guys. He may even put some on sale. I doubt that. But, I mean, you, know, he, you, know, you know, here they are. Manager special. And a, and a manager will be special to who? To everybody. Do you, do you understand what I, my point? Now, look now at verse 27. We're going to look at the issue of the prospect for life. He who earnestly seeks good finds favor. But trouble will come to him who seeks evil. Here again, we're talking about consequences. One generally receives the consequences of the kind of life he pursues. Boy, you can't say it any better than what Solomon says. You know what? If you pursue righteousness and blessing, your life will be marked by righteousness and blessing. But if you pursue evil, if you pursue wickedness, if you pursue what is wrong, your life will be marked by what's wrong. You will reap the consequences of that kind of life. Period. 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 You know, and oftentimes I'll see parents, they'll shake their head, I just don't know whatever happened to little Jimmy. Yes, I know, he's in a penitentiary right now, but he had a lot of things going on to him. And, and the rest of the family's going, yeah, but little Jimmy was stealing out of my purse when we were over at your house. And little Jimmy was doing this and that. And little Jimmy was, you know, and little Jimmy was always a really rascal. And, you know, and why? Because little Jimmy was pursuing evil in his life. And so he's facing the consequences of evil in his life. See, there's a point there we need to recognize. That's what Solomon is saying. Now, look, look at verse 28. He who trusts in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Here's the point. Security and prosperity are determined by the object of faith. You trust in your wealth? You trust in the finances you have, the bank account, the job you have? Boy, if, if, you know what? I noticed that you know, years ago you used to hear all the time people talk about job security. Remember that? We seem to have gotten over that in our area, haven't we? Because we have learned in our area that there's no such thing as job security, isn't there? There is no such thing. Like, where did we ever come up with that concept? We've learned in our area the only thing that's sure is a pink slip. In some areas, isn't it? Getting laid off. And so the whole point is what he's saying is, so you have somebody who's trusting in their riches. Reminds me of what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus said about the man who, who, was a, who obviously was a landowner, farmer, and he had much wealth, and so he must have had a good year that day, and he said, I'll take down my old barns and build up new barns, and, you know, and his soul was satisfied, and Jesus said, fool, this night your soul is required of thee. What did his big barns mean to him then? 
Nothing. Somebody else got him. Somebody else got him. See, that's the point that Solomon's making here. Then look at the issue of laziness. Verse 29. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and the fool will be the servant of the wise. Here's the thing. A lazy man deprives his family of a livelihood and gains only the wind. A lazy man deprives his family of a livelihood and gains only the wind. You know what? A lazy person, if they're not going to work, the effect is on who? Yeah, the whole household. The whole household is affected. The whole household is affected. So, a lazy man will basically bring about problems in their house because they refuse to do anything. They refuse to do anything. In fact, I would say this. One lazy man will also teach the rest of the family how to live, too, right? Is that true? He brings trouble to his own household, but the trouble is then perpetuated from generation to generation because... The younger ones are not taught how to what? How to work. We've seen that, haven't we? Yeah, it is a way of life. Look, here's the thing. And one who foolishly mismanages his account will be sold into slavery. You know what? Here's the point. In Solomon's day, they had slavery. So if you couldn't pay your bills, you ended up paying with your life. You couldn't pay your bills, you ended up paying with your life. Now, we have progressed in our cruelty now. You say, what do you mean? How how much crueler can you get than being sold into slavery? Well, it's called destroyed credit. And if you mismanage your accounts, you won't be sold into literal slavery. You'll be sold into slavery that, well, you know, I won't be able to buy a car anymore. And I can't do this because my credit stinks. My credit's in the tank. And nobody will do anything, and the only people that will do anything are charging me way more than they should for what they're offering me because my credit's in the tank. And you talk about, that's a different type of slavery, isn't it? That's a different type of slavery. And so, the one who foolishly mismanages his accounts will be sold into slavery. Guys, there is a common sense wisdom that comes out of verse 29. And it's this, he who troubles his own house inherits the wind. Don't be troubling your house. Because when, if you make mama unhappy, you know what I'm saying? Nobody's going to be happy that day. Brad, I think your wife's down here trying to communicate something to you. Okay, okay. Okay. So, so don't be troubling your house, okay? Don't be troubling your house. In fact, I come home and I tell the kids, why are you doing this to your mother? It just brings trouble. It just brings trouble. I'm being selfish. All right. Look at verse 30 now. We're going to talk about righteousness. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. Here's the point. Through righteous living, a person becomes a source of meaningful life for others. Here, let me make this point. I've got to make this point. We've been talking about the transformed life in the morning message. 
You have been saved for a purpose. It isn't for fire insurance later on. It is you have been saved to live a different life here right now because by you living a life that is different, you are an example to others. And you are actually, by your different life, communicating to them the gospel. Does everybody understand? See, what we want to do today in the church is we want to live like everybody else. And we'll, we'll act and do whatever the rest of the culture is doing. But have you noticed the culture keeps turning away from God? And what's going to change our culture isn't the right political guy in party. See, we're in a quandary now. Christians in America are in a quandary now. And the commentators are saying that, who do you vote for? There is no clear candidate to vote for. So my point is, is we're being forced into a situation where we've got to rethink the way we think about affecting our culture. And this is the way to affect our culture. It's by you living your life out in front of others and being a meaningful source of life for others. And notice what it says there in that proverb. Then that he who what? Wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. Here, let me just say this. If our, if our culture, if our nation goes in the tank, so to speak, if it goes down the tank in the ditch and it goes to the point of no return, it isn't because we didn't elect the right guys in office. That ain't going to hold water with Jesus. The scripture does not say a politician is to be the salt and light of the earth. Who is to be the salt and light of the earth? We are. If the, if the culture tanks, it's because we didn't live our life out the way we should have lived it out. It's because we didn't say no when we should have said no. And I'm not just talking about moral issues. I'm talking about you at work. Somebody says, let's go hang out in front of the clock for 15 minutes. Oh, okay. When we should have said, no, I think I'll just finish up my job here. You see my point? It's our responsibility. And so, righteous living, a person becomes a source of meaningful life. A person becomes a source of meaningful life. All right, let's continue on there. The issue of retribution. Retribution for sin is certain for the righteous. Some of you need to grasp this point. Retribution for sin is certain for the righteous and especially the wicked. Notice what it says there. If the righteous will be recompensed on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinners? So here's the point that Solomon is making. If you and I will face the consequences of our sins now. And I'll be honest with you, the consequences for you and I is is when we sin, God takes us where? To the woodshed. And you say, does He really? The fact of the matter is, the Bible talks about it. He scourges every son He what? Loves. That's part of love, is, is, is chastisement. God will punish you for your sin. Now, the point that Solomon is making then is retribution for sin is certain for the righteous. You're not going to get away from it, righteous person, Christian. 
That's especially going to be true for the wicked. They're definitely not going to get away from it. Now, it may not be in our timing, but they'll definitely face the retribution of it. All right, let's continue on now. Let's look at the issue of discipline. We're in verse 1 now, chapter 12. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. He who hates correction is stupid. Here's the point. To love discipline shows that a person desires knowledge. To love discipline, to be a teachable person, shows that you love knowledge. Listen, it shows that you are also aware that you don't know everything. A person who understands correction also understands that they don't know everything. Can I ask a question? How many of you know everything here? Okay, everybody look around. Everybody's admitting they don't know anything. Here's the thing. To reject correction shows that one is stupid. That's a pretty strong word. But the Bible makes its point that, you know, you take somebody that just rejects correction, it shows that they are what? Stupid. Stupid. See, that's the point. Discipline is there for a reason. Look now at verse 2, conduct. A man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. A man, a man blessed, a man is blessed by God, whereas a crafty man is condemned. A good man is blessed by God, whereas a crafty man is condemned. The point is, is that a good man is blessed by God, but a crafty man is condemned. Look at verse 3 now, righteousness. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Here's what he says. Righteousness brings stability to life. You want to have a stable life? Live righteously. You want to have a stable life? Live righteously. That's just the bottom line. Do what's right. There will be stability. Now, that's no guarantee that you're not going to have problems. Problems come no matter if you're good or bad. It rains on the wicked and the good, does it not? We need to grasp the reality of it. But you'll have more stability in your life if you do what is right than living and doing what is wrong. Look at verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is like rottenness to the bone. So here's what he says. The moral character of a woman affects her husband's enjoyment of life. Guys, you know what we're talking about. As you interact with other men, ladies, you may not be aware of it, but guys do talk sometimes. They don't generally talk a lot, but they, they do talk sometimes. And here's one of the things that guys will say, I'm glad I'm not married to her. Isn't that true, guys? I'm glad I'm not married to poor, poor Billy Bob. Check out who he's married to. Boy, I'm glad I'm not married. I'm glad I got the woman I got. You ladies are laughing. We know what you guys talk about. I already know that. But we do talk, but that's the only thing men will talk about is poor Billy Bob. Look at who he's married to. And this is where it comes from. Because the moral character of a woman affects her husband's enjoyment of life. And so notice what he says there. 
very clearly he says, an excellent wife is a crown for a husband. Talk about being proud of your woman if you've got an excellent wife. You're always bragging on her. But she who causes shame is like rottenness to the bone. Solomon, he's the one who said it, not me. Yeah, but you're saying, well, you guys talk about it. Well, we're talking Scripture. Okay. Okay, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Here's the issue of plans. One's thoughts and words are usually consistent with his character. You have somebody who's devising evil plan. You have someone who's constantly talking about evil things or discussing wrong things. I'm going to tell you something. That is a reflection of who they are. Because if you're right, stuff, wrong stuff isn't going to flow out of you. What did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, what the mouth speaks. And so when you have somebody who's constantly devising really conniving, scheming ways, that's a reflection of who they are. That's a reflection of who they are. And then finally... Wow, we've got to end up again on the issue of speech. Look at verse 6. Always, more than anything else in the scripture of Proverbs, you're going to see it talks about you talking. Look at what it says, verse 6. The words of the wicked are lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. Here's what it says. Wicked people, the wicked destroy people by their words, whereas the upright try to rescue them. Wicked people, unsafe people, try to destroy people by their words. You see that? It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. And so they'll be talking about people all the time, tearing them down. But But the righteous, what? Will try to rescue people with their words. Okay, let's close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.